listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. With me today is my co-host, Cindy Johnson. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. I'm glad to be back. Today's episode of Lighthearted is going to be a little different. We're going to talk about something that's not a lighthouse, although it's certainly related to lighthouses. Cindy, we've been watching something pretty amazing taking place near here for the last few years. The restoration of the Wood Island Lifesaving Station at the mouth of the Piscataqua River in Kittery, Maine. And that is going to be our main focus today. That's right. We've been able to see the restoration progress from Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Newcastle, New Hampshire. And this uh, podcast's main reason for being is to talk about lighthouses and their history and preservation. But lighthouses have not existed in a vacuum in this country. They're very much part of the broad spectrum of maritime history, and so are life-saving stations. So we're going to shift gears just a little today. Cindy, uh, could you please help me give our listeners some background about the life-saving service? Sure, Jeremy. The U.S. Life-Saving Service had its roots in volunteer life-saving services, spearheaded by the Massachusetts Humane Society. The Humane Society established huts and outfitted them with firewood and provisions to sustain survivors until local townspeople came to their rescue. The first hut was placed on the beach in Situate, Massachusetts in 1787. By 1806, there were 18 huts along the coast and on Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard. The first lifeboat in the country was completed in 1807, housed in Cohasset, Massachusetts. The federal government became involved in life-saving in 1848. Life-saving facilities on the coast of New Jersey and New York, and the ones in Massachusetts, received federal funding administered by the U.S. Revenue Marine within the Treasury Department. The operation was loosely organized until 1871, when Sumner I. Kimball, a young lawyer from Maine, was appointed as the chief of the Treasury Department's Revenue Marine Division. Under Kimball's leadership, the life-saving service was improved and professionalized. He succeeded in obtaining a congressional appropriation of $200,000 and drew up regulations with standards of performance for all crew members. Kimball built new stations and instituted six-man boat crews at each station. In 1874, stations expanded north to include Maine and as far south as the Outer Banks of North Carolina. In the following year, they expanded to the Great Lakes in Florida. Soon the West Coast and the Gulf Coast would have stations, and one would be built in Alaska. In 1878, the U.S. Life-Saving Service was established as a separate agency of the Treasury Department, with Sumner Kimball as its general superintendent. He would be the only person to hold that title. In 1915, when the Life-Saving Service merged with the Revenue Cutter Service to create the U.S. Coast Guard, Kimball retired. By 1915, the rescuers of the U.S. Life-Saving Service had saved more than 186,000 lives. Today, the men and women of the United States Coast Guard carry on the great tradition of service to others that was established by the Life-Saving Service using more sophisticated equipment, but with no less devotion. Wood Island is a small island about a quarter of a mile inside the mouth of the Piscataqua River in Kittery, Maine. In the late 1800s, a quarantine hospital was located on the island. Spanish-American war prisoners were detained there to prevent the spread of yellow fever. A life-saving station was built on the island in late 1907. 
It replaced a station on shore a short distance away in Newcastle, New Hampshire at Jerry's Point or Jaffrey Point. The architectural style of the station on Wood Island was the Duluth style. It was one of 28 such stations in the United States and it is one of only two surviving Duluth style stations in Maine. The other at Bitterford Pool is now a private home. Wood Island was integrated into the coastal defense system during World War II. Following the war, the Coast Guard relocated their operations of Portsmouth Harbor to a new station in Newcastle, New Hampshire. By 1955, the station on Wood Island was declared surplus property. Ownership was conveyed to the town of Kittery, Maine in 1973. The property languished for six decades and demolition was seriously considered. But in recent years, a nonprofit organization, the Wood Island Lifesaving Station Association, has been working on a miraculous restoration. The first phase began in 2016 with the removal of hazardous materials. I visited Wood Island about eight years ago before restoration began. Most of the floor was gone inside the building. I remember edging around the uh, perimeter of the floor because most of the floor was just not there and parts of the roof were actually falling in. I watched the restoration mostly from a distance until I visited the island again this past August and what I saw when I recently had the chance to visit again was inspirational. Restoration of the exterior of the building and grounds is almost finished, and restoration of the interior is progressing quickly. The ultimate plan is for the site to be open to the public as a maritime museum. I recently had an opportunity to sit down and talk with Sam Reed, Kittery resident and president of the Wood Island Lifesaving Station Association. Sam has been the spearhead of the amazing restoration on Wood Island. Let's listen to my conversation with Sam Reed now. I am here in Kittery Point at the home of Sam Reed. And I just want to thank you, Sam, for giving this a second take because I was out at the lifesaving station, the Wood Island Lifesaving Station, on August 30th. And we recorded an interview, but we did it in the tower of the lifesaving station. And I used my little recorder with the built-in microphones. And unfortunately, I didn't have windscreens on it. And the content of the interview was perfect, but it was a little too noisy with the wind. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, please don't do that. You're, you're scaring me. So again, thank you so much for doing this again. I, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today, Sam. My pleasure. Before we talk about the specifics of Wood Island, Sam, I just want to ask you, what inspired you in the first place to get involved with this project? Well, thank you, Jeremy. And uh, Wood Island Station is an attractive building that's uh, iconic in the entrance of the Piscataqua River. Everyone's seen the building. Not so many people knew its purpose. And I grew up in this area. Um, I, I really was in school in Boston area, but I was here, um, you know, spring, summer, fall, winter. And uh, as a boy, uh, would get in boats and go explore the island and the old building was crumbling and the windows were gone and the doors were gone and the vandals had come through and then the pigeons and the you know the asbestos was everywhere so I it was a, a creepy old beautiful thing covered in poison ivy neglected and so as a boy I would go there and explore and climb around 
And as a young man uh, with other friends, we would we would fantasize about someday restoring it and and seeing it come back to its glory. And we started to learn about what it was. And as an adult, um, uh, the the town of Kittery, which owns the island and owns the building, um, kind of gave us the chance. And that coincidentally, Jeremy, it was ten years ago. I think next week, uh, early October, two thousand nine that an article was published in the Portsmouth Herald that spoke about demolishing Wood Island Station. And so it was the starting gun, so to speak, to where we are today, 10 years later, with a, a decently restored building, not finished, mm-hmm. but we're making some good progress. So to, to answer your question, I've, I've been in this area a long time, and I've, I've kept an eye on that building. Well, you sure have made more than a more than a head start at this point. I just want to congratulate you on all that's been accomplished. It's incredible. You know, I before we went out on August 30th, I hadn't been on the island in a few years, actually. And the last time I had been out there was before restoration had started. It's inspiring. It's a miracle what's been accomplished. Uh, it's hard to I know it's hard to sum up in a brief space of time talking about it today. But can you walk us through just a few highlights of the restoration that's take, taken place in the last few years? Sure. And uh, the, the process uh, uh, has been um, a bumpy road. Um, we spent over five years, almost six years, securing permission from Kittery to do this job. And it was a, a, a very difficult process because, frankly, you know, no one had been through it before. So it was uncharted uh, waters. And it, the, the, the good part of the story is uh, the, the charity was formed, uh, WILSA, the Wood Island Lifesaving Station Association. you got to say that with the main accent. It's very important, the WILSA. And uh, WILSA was formed, and it was um, able to secure two contracts with Kittery. And those contracts were um, the first to restore the building, to, to invest, uh, to raise the funds, and figure out the permits and the engineering and do the work. And the second contract won't start until we pull a certificate of occupancy, until we, so to speak, end the restoration. And those contracts were for different durations, but the important piece is the fully restored building will be a maritime museum focusing on the life-saving service, uh, open to the public, and that will um, uh, that contract will run for 40 years. So that this is... This is a, a compromise, like, like everything good is, where the town of Kittery started the process eager to demolish the building. And it's hard to blame them. The building was in terrifically bad condition. Sure was. And it was also hard to say with a straight face, you know, let us help you. We're, we're going to be able to raise this money. We're going to be able to figure out the challenges of working on an island. And uh, you're going to be glad you partnered with us. So uh, that was the hard part, and the great news is we've, we've come through and done what we said we were going to do. You sure have. In addition to restoring the building, I understand you're planning to build a replica motorized lifeboat. Uh, yes, yes, was. and that as we went deep into the history of this building, um, one of the challenges was to have the building designated as eligible for the National Register of Historic Places. Right. And the important reason for that... The building, um, it, yeah, again, you know, in terrible condition, if it is in the Kittery uh, zoning, if more than 50% of the value of the building is spent on its restoration, it's as if it's a new building. And so the only way to get around that is to have the building designated 
historic, and by that they mean National Register historic. So mm-hmm. not not just lowercase h, you know, uppercase h, sure. capital H. So the way to get from here to there, we um, partnered with the Maine uh, State Historic Preservation Office, and they were incredibly helpful. The, the challenge was Wood Island stations had twice been rejected for National Register eligibility. And the, the, it was an interesting and long story about why that happened, but we kind of unpacked it and dug deep and figured out. But the upshot is we did get the building um, uh, designated eligible, and that meant we were able to proceed uh, and get around the issue of um, more than 50%. I mean, for goodness sake, it was in such bad shape. I think the first dollar, I think the, I think the value was a negative number. You know, I think the first dollar would have been more than 50% of the value. Uh, so tell me, can you tell me about this motorized lifeboat you're planning to? I will. And the upshot is by doing the work to get the building designated on the National Register, yeah. we really learned about uh, they had a, a marine railway. So in essence, train tracks coming out of the building. Right. The building itself is in essence a boathouse where men would live and they would be prepared to help others who were in peril on the sea. Right. So rescue uh, crew, lifesavers. And the boat uh, came on a cradle on steel wheels down train tracks mm-hmm. uh, and launched uh, sort of like a fireman coming down the pole uh, so that we dug deep into this because part of the National Register process, we had uh, uh, made claims, so to speak, that this was a very rare thing to have a marine railway like that for a life-saving station. And at, by that chance... Uh, the uh, U.S. Life Saving Service Heritage Association, which is a national organization of a number of interested folks who enjoy life-saving stations, um, they had really come to help us. And they were providing us a lot of data about, oh my gosh, life-saving stations all over the country, and how this one related to others and whether or not it was rare. Anyway, they did the research for us, and we came to learn that this was the only uh, life-saving station, meaning pre-1915 when the Coast Guard was formed and the U.S. Life-Saving Service was ended. So pre-1915, this building is 1908, so it is a life-saving station for sure, and it has a marine railway that came right into it. And that is apparently a unicorn. There's no others like it. And having learned that, uh, well, gee whiz, it seems pretty clear we better restore that. And not only that, we're going to need a boat. We're hmm. going to need a boat to go up and down this marine railway. Yeah. So here you go. Uh, the marine railway is a, a real challenge to build, and so too is a boat. We, we looked um, and found the, a list of all the boats that were ever in service at Wood Island provided to us by Tim Dring, who uh, just recently chair of the U.S. Life Saving Service Heritage Association. And he had written a book. And that was called uh, American Coastal Rescue Craft. And it was the history of uh, the Coast Guard's boats. And so he was able to tell us every a, a list a, a, to the serial number, the horsepower, the actual boats that were actually at Wood Island. And it was incredibly helpful. So in essence, we got to kind of pick and choose. And the boat that we're choosing to try to build... Uh, is a B.B. McClellan motorized surf boat that was arrived at Wood Island in 1914. And what's so special, there's one other that exists on the planet Earth, and it is in uh, Chickamacomico uh, Life Saving Station down in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And it is, of course, a 100-plus-year-old boat, so it's not going in the water. What we're talking about is really audacious. We're talking about building an exact replica 
and also putting it in the water every day and having it certified for passengers with the Coast Guard. So we're well into this process. We've spent the last year researching it. Tim Dring has provided us the blueprints. What's cool about it is it is a rowing boat because these men were saving people in a rowing boat format, but it had an inboard. So it was the first Coast Guard boat with an engine. And it tells the story very, very well, because once you figure out how to get engines in boats, well, pretty soon you want bigger engines and bigger boats, and pretty soon you really don't need the entire structure of a couple of hundred buildings up and down the East Coast, West Coast, Great Lakes of life-saving stations. So it's a, that boat was really pivotal. That is going to be so cool. Now, you've had an amazing partnership with the Maine National Guard, Maine Army National Guard. Please tell us about that. That's that's. Uh, it is. Really it is. Uh, it's really special, mm-hmm. and um, you'll your listeners will enjoy uh, um, uh, one of our donors um, who lives in the area is a professor at uh, Harvard Business School, and he teaches uh, real estate, and he has come to visit the station and approached us with the notion that we should um, allow the students, his students to create a Harvard Business School case study on uh, how we brought in and, and how we partnered with the Maine Army National Guard so that others in the historic preservation field, uh, nonprofits, can, can learn and do the same. So we're very excited about that, that we hope to start that this fall. The Maine Army National Guard is up to 3,000 men and women uh, who are soldiers, and they are Army. And they many of them served in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they chose to remain uh, in the reserves, in the National Guard. And what their commitment is, um, one weekend a month, two weeks a year, and uh, obviously they receive a salary for that, and they are uh, you know, needing to stay prepared in case they are called up for active duty. And their skills are well uh, hewned. They have, uh, you know, many of them served, uh, as I say, on the battlefield. So the National Guard uh, brings young people along to learn uh, how to behave as a soldier, how to uh, operate a lot of machinery, and they need projects to put these folks to work and, and use all their equipment. And they are often doing wonderful things in many communities, but that in this case, it was a challenge and a half because what we approached the National Guard about some years ago, it took a number of years of communication to get them to come. Um, They came to build two huge seawalls. The seawalls on the north side and the south side of Wood Island were there historically, but they had uh, deteriorated and they, they were gone. Um, the, the ocean was coming through twice a day at high tide. So that, of course, imperiled the entire island. It imperiled the building. The island's very, very small. It's less than an acre. Right. So you, these seawalls are critical. We talk about restoring a building. Everyone can understand that. It's an attractive building. It's, we're going to have shingles and this and that. And, you know, there's, there's paint and, you know, the usual building things. But realistically, we're restoring the whole island because those two seawalls are significant. And what we did was uh, work with the National Guard to lay out a plan, uh, a two-year plan. They came uh, June of 2018 and June of 2019. There were two platoons, 60 men and women each, so 120-plus men and women, in two-week cycles. So uh, in, in 2018, 
the first group came and they left and the second group came in 2019, they actually overlapped for a week. So we had absolutely spectacular high quality people, um, uh, led by, um, people with, uh, you know, concrete experience, um, you know, heavy equipment experience. And what's so interesting is for example, an excavator. So we had, uh, you know, people who were career excavator operators and, they would, of course, operate the excavators, but they also would have people in training. So they'd bring someone who had never operated an excavator and have them sit in the seat and show them how to do it. So it's not the most efficient way to actually do a project, but it's a wonderful way to do it because you're seeing young people involved, you're seeing experienced people. And again, because Wood Island is an island, uh, the army was you know, really questioning us, um, how is this going to work? What are the logistics? Have you ever done this before? And the answer is, we're not sure, we're not sure, and no, we've never done this before. So um, it was a challenge to talk through all of their questions. And the sort of, so to speak, the deal was that we would provide, we the charity would provide materials and permits and engineering and uh, logistical support. So we paid for an 85-foot landing craft. Uh, the, it's a beautiful boat out of Casco Bay, Peaks Island. They're called the Lionel Plant Senior. And it, uh, Coley Mulkern is the captain, and it's a fabulous boat. And that boat was integral to the whole thing. So we found it. We paid for it. We provided all the plans. And we're talking about precast concrete blocks that look like granite, but they're sort of like... Uh, grown-up Legos. They they have male and female that intera- uh, interlock with each other, and they sat on an enormous um, concrete base to be flat and level. So the men had to uh, get down to ledge, drill into the ledge with rebar, build these huge forms for these um, bases, and then place all these blocks and do it all in 30 straight days. So it was an amazing, amazing amount of work. And uh, the fact that they provided all that labor for free uh, it, it was a multi-million dollar benefit to our project. And the product is wonderful. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. And it does look like, a, like they do look like granite walls. They do. I mean, if you get within 50 feet, you might start to say that that's actually concrete. But, you, you know, it's, it's beautiful yeah. and very functional. Absolutely. Now, you've uh, told me you've been able to find a lot of historical materials related to the history of the station. Yes, sir. Uh, what are some of the highlights of what you've been able to well, find? Well, and I'll make it short, but the most recent one is a heck of a story. Uh, just happened a few weeks ago. In fact, since I was with you, Jeremy, this mm-hmm. has come through. Um, we provide, um, uh, there's a, uh, a local reporter who's, who's a novelist. He's a very, very excellent writer. And we provide him uh, tidbits now and again. Uh, to keep Wood Island in the news uh, here in the Portsmouth, New Hampshire area. And he uh, loves it, and he jumps on them. Who is that? This is um, D. Allen Kerr. We call him D. Okay. So K-E-R-R. And so D. uh, has written a number of pieces on Wood Island, and most recently we gave him an article from May 4th, 1920. And it was about a tragedy that had happened the day before. And that was a boat heading out to the Isles of Shoals, which, as you know well, is six or seven miles off the coast of Maine, New Hampshire. And they were in a small boat uh, bringing supplies from the Navy Yard to the U.S. Navy had a facility at Isles And they passed Wood Island. And as they went by, uh, the squall came in. So it's, it's May, so it's a spring squall thunderstorm. And as the squall passed, the men in the tower at Wood Island could see the boat was gone. 
So they rallied, they launched their rescue craft, they went out to the site, uh, there were people missing, and there were two people clinging to life. So they brought those two back to Wood Island Station. One of them lived, one of them died. The one that died in the station was the son-in-law of the head of the life-saving station. So the head at that time was named uh, Charles Hand, so he was the keeper, and the man that died was uh, Sherman Parker, son-in-law of the keeper. So that means the keeper has to go tell his daughter, I'm so sorry I tried my best, but your husband is gone. So that's an extraordinary story, and obviously Dean published it again uh, just now in August, uh, the, uh, excuse me, in September. And as that story was published, a email came to me the same day from a gentleman in Portsmouth uh, named John Connors, who said, the man that died was my grandfather, the man that did the rescue was my great-grandfather. So the news item was, we did not know that the widow was pregnant. And not only that, the widow was pregnant with folks that are still uh, here in the Portsmouth area. John had uh, a extensive collection of pictures, of critical documents, the family Bible, passport, uh, just a, a, a dream, really, as we are planning to create a maritime museum. This is uh, excellent, excellent material. And he donated it on the spot to Wilsa to uh, really become the beginning of our permanent collection. And even more incredible, as we're sitting and, and learning about it, and I'd, I'd never met him before, and I took him out to the station that day, he was somewhat reluctant to go to the station. He was somewhat reluctant to go into the station. It was a powerful um, experience for him. And we got inside, and he said, are you saying that my, my grandfather died here, and my, my great-grandfather lived here for 21 years? And I said, yes, sir, all those things are true. And so it was, it was impressive uh, for him that day. As we're sitting around um, learning about each other and learning about this story, he mentioned that Charles Hand was married in Portsmouth at St. John's Episcopal Church in uh, 1896. And I said, wow, that's, that's extraordinary. Um, my grandmother's grandfather was the minister at St. John's in Portsmouth in 1896. And he said, well, that's cool. Um, I happen to have the marriage certificate right here. And he pulled out the document, and there it was, signed by my great-great-great-grandfather. Oh, wow. So the, the linkage um, continues to grow. And yeah. the, the thing that's exciting about that, I think, is that it's not just an old story. Right. That we are uh, enjoying the history of a life-saving station that was closed in 1948. And that's, that's exciting. That's cool. But to know that there are people here who are passionate about it to this day is a real connection for yeah, us. Yeah. And that takes it from the past to the present. And I was uh, recently heard a great quote, which I loved, um, which is, Tradition is not the preservation of the ashes. It is the passing along of the flame. I just love that line. That's beautiful. It's wonderful. And I think it, it, that story captures that really well because, you know, we could have a nice museum on a nice restored building and kind of miss the point, if mm -hmm. you see my meaning. You never know where you're going to find that kind of treasure. Man, awesome. It's really beautiful.
What remains to be done? I know there's a lot's been accomplished, but there's a lot that remains to be done. But what, uh, just roughly, what is the timeline for completing restoration and opening the station for the public? Right. Well, it's all dependent on fundraising. And we've been exceptionally successful in a short period of time, but of course, there are no guarantees. <laughs> so we will continue to... Um, uh, knock on doors and and put in you know requests and grant applications etc cetera, etc. Cetera. We hope uh, we will be able to raise significant funding again as we have in past years, and be able to do a good deal of work in the coming summer of 2020. If that is all true, um, uh, we've raised and spent roughly 3.4 maybe a little bit more 3.4 million dollars so far. Um, including the rescue craft, including the marine railway, uh, the whole project is roughly just under $5 million. But if we were to think about, if you will, sort of prioritization, and we have designed a beautiful pier for Wood Island, and there's a goodly amount of work to do on the interiors. The, at this moment, there are no um, sheetrocked walls. There's, there's wood-framed walls. Just last week, uh, we've actually just this week, we finished the fire suppression system install. So you didn't even see that when you were there at the end mm -hmm, of August. Right. So the whole building is now sprinklered. Um, we are just finishing the electrical system. So I've heard. And it's a huge day. Uh, what's today? October 3rd. Yep. Um, it is the first day that there is electrical power at Wood Island since, no doubt, 1948. And what's so cool, there's a lot of archival material about this building. The National Archives has more than 50 boxes about Wood Island. Uh, the National Archives, uh, that is in D.C., the National Archives Regional in Waltham has another 36 boxes. I mean, every record in the, under the sun is still in place. So daily logs, service records, requisitions. Obviously, if they ever did a rescue, they had to write a whole report on it. So there's a great deal of information. But I have... All, you know, our charity has gathered together almost all of it, either in photograph or scans. And I was flipping through the other day and came upon a document from January 30th, 1930. And it was more of a coincidence than anything that I tripped over it. But I pulled it up and I've printed it and just, uh, it's out at the station. And just this afternoon, I, I read it to the electricians who were turning on the power. And it was speaking about how it's time to now put electrical power into Wood Island Station. Uh -huh. So we know that it came in in January of 1930. So, <laughs> And it was neat. And it was talking about putting in a generator. Uh, we have a generator and a solar array um, with a fancy inverters and beautiful uh, 3,000 pounds of beautiful batteries. So it's, it's a really cool system that's now just up and running. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's come a long way. Uh, I, my hope would be... Uh, interior finish and pier uh, next summer. Will there be an opportunity for people to stay in the building overnight? For certain. And as I say, we are uh, a charity that is partnered with the town of Kittery. So Kittery owns the building. Kittery owns the island. We have these contracts with Kittery that were uh, negotiated not just with those two parties, but also with the National Park Service. Park Service owned the island until 1973 and gave it for free to Kittery. And Kittery really was not a good steward and really let it go. Um, but that when we created these contracts, um, all three were involved, uh, the charity, the park service, and Kittery. And, you know, the reason I'm uh, sort of articulating all of that is as we laid out what we wanted to do, 
um, meaning not just have a museum open to the public, but also have the ability to rent out the facility, like most every museum can be rented, as well as spend the night. We leaned on lighthouses and the experience that year or sort of broad constituents, the, the, the listeners uh, would know well that there are many, many lighthouses to be uh, open to the public for spending the night. And many have kind of a wrinkle on that, which is not a, a bed and breakfast type spend the night, but a, a, a docence function. Um, call it keeper for the night or keeper for the week. And we think about the Rose Island light in Narragansett Bay was one that we really brought to the attention of Kittery and brought to the attention of Park Service folks to say, uh, this isn't um, a bed and breakfast. This is po- folks helping and doing stuff. And frankly, just staying there is helpful because, right. of course, it's a form of security. And we, we wrote that all up in the, in the contracts. Everyone agreed to it. So the short answer is yes, we'd love to have people stay there and, and help. Sounds good to me. Would you care to comment on your relationship with the Coast Guard Station Portsmouth Harbor and the wow. personnel there? Well, one fun thing about that, there have been uh, three um, you know, Coast Guard-type uh, facilities on the Piscataqua River. And, the, and it's jumped across the state line a couple times. So yeah. uh, the first one was uh, Jerry's Point uh, Station, and it was over on uh, Newcastle Island, New Hampshire. Yeah. And it is um, uh, 1888 to 1907 where uh, the Army, the U.S. Army, uh, coincidentally, uh, showed up and started to build a fort there to defend. Uh, there's a huge naval base in this river for submarines, uh, the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. And that uh, the Army was there to start imp- putting in gun emplacements and get ready to really defend the entrance of the river. So they kicked out the life-saving service, and the uh, uh, next stop uh, was Wood Island. So the, the Wood Island Station was built in 1908, which is frankly quite late for a life-saving station. It was the last life-saving station uh, built in Maine. Uh, there were only nine ever built in Maine. So we were uh, before we started the podcast, Jeremy, uh, you and I were talking about how many lighthouses there are in Maine, and it's a little bit unclear, but something around 65. Yeah. And my, my point was there... You know, there are a dime a dozen those lighthouses, but, you know, life-saving stations, those things are rare in Maine. Right. And, you know, only that there were nine of them. Um, of the nine, uh, three are National Register eligible, so or, or on the National Register, I should say. So uh, Wood Island uh, will be the fourth. And the others have been um, converted into private homes. And so it's a very rare building, but it was then um, uh, over to uh, Newcastle for the third stop after World War II. What I'm trying to get to is each one of these facilities, either Jerry's Point, Wood Island, or back to Newcastle, were all the same name. They were all Station Portsmouth Harbor. So as we go and make uh, our, our visits to the Coast Guard Station here at the entrance of the, of the river, we are really um, a direct uh, relative. And they treat us like royalty. Um, the Coast Guard has been so fantastic to our charity uh, across the board. Uh, from little silly things like um, borrowing tools to uh, uh, just recently the U.S. Coast Guard's uh, Bark Eagle, the 300-foot-long tall ship, America's tall ship, uh, came into Portsmouth Harbor in early August. And uh, I was invited aboard, which was fantastic, as we sailed into the river. But we worked out in advance a a formal salute so that uh, Wood Island, we had three cannons, uh, 
reports uh, aplenty uh, shooting out and the Coast Guard's uh, Eagle responding with their cannon. So really special stuff. And what's more, the Coast Guard donated uh, Eagle to our charity for Saturday night, August 3rd, uh, to host a reception for our friends and supporters. Yeah. So that was uh, outstanding. We had we had 130 people there. It was just wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, it's all, it's all great to be friends with the Coast Guard. Um, when they struck the colors at sunset that night, they played the national anthem. The, the flag was brought down. Every man and woman in uniform is uh, at attention, saluting, facing the flag. Um, our guests were absolutely uh, speechless. They were, they were in awe. Mm-hmm. And what it showed, uh, restoring a life-saving station here in Kittery is a, is a wonderful project. It's, it's, it's meaningful in its own right. But when you, when you were there for the Eagle visit... And that happened. It it really hit home, you know, since 1790, revenue cutter service, uh, lighthouse service, uh, life-saving station, uh, U.S. life-saving service. These are all intertwined over a long period of time with the same traditions. And that was the thunderclap for us, really, truly. And my point being, we've gotten along fantastically well with the Coast Guard. Um, Admiral uh, Andrew Tonkson, who is the uh, district commander for the Eastern Seaboard, uh, chose to come to our reception. He could have come to anything in Eagle for four nights, but he came um, to the Wood Island reception and, and sang our praises. And it was just a joy. And, and we brought along a man named David Coffin, who is a well-known sea shanty singer. Mm-hmm. And he uh, belts them out, man. I'm telling you, it is worth a quick search on YouTube. David Coffin wrote a song for that night, uh, praising the Coast Guard, uh, the captain and her crew of the of Eagle. And it was just wonderful. So we all sang together. And there's nothing uh, to, to be a bonding experience better than a, a good old sea shanty on the deck of Eagle. So we've had a really wonderful rapport with uh, the U.S. Coast Guard. Yeah. Well, that's pretty special. And uh, on that note, I think that's a good place to wrap up this interview for now. We could keep going here, and we will revisit this in the future for sure. But I want to thank you so much for spending this time with me today, Sam. And uh, again, I want to congratulate you on all that's been accomplished. I want to congratulate you in advance on all that will be accomplished. Fingers crossed, Jeremy. (laughs) We'll see what (laughs) happens. Yeah, I can't wait to get back out there uh, and see the progress uh, the next time I get out there. So thank you so much, Sam. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. That's all for this episode of Lighthearted. Hopefully our listeners don't mind that we took a slight detour from the subject of lighthouses. We will be talking about lighthouses again very soon, I promise. Many thanks to Sam Reed of the Wood Island Lifesaving Station Association. Thanks to all the members, volunteers, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, and to everyone everywhere who supports the preservation of lighthouses and their history. If you enjoy this podcast and you listen through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review this podcast. And please spread the word on social media. Anything you can do to spread the word is very much appreciated. You can also send your comments and ideas to me at jeremy at uslhs.org. Again, you can contact me at jeremy at uslhs.org. As always, thanks for listening and...
Keep a good life.